This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast, episode 60. That's like a landmark episode. I can't believe we're at episode 60. That is, we are racing towards episode 100. I, I, yeah, I'm, thanks guys. Thanks for sticking around. I'm getting so emotional. <sighs> anyway, okay, on with business. Who am I speaking to today? Well, on this episode, I'm going to be joined by Michelle Summers, and we're going to be talking through tips and tricks to help you write a better synopsis. But first, to last week's question, which was, is writing fast important or not in the current publishing climate? Julie Westerfeld said, I think it's important. Every, everything moves so quickly in the publishing world. Don't try to write a novel for a trend that is already established. Even if you self-publish, by the time your novel goes public, the trend will have evolved. But if you want to make a living out of writing, and good luck on that, especially if you work in the French market, then you need to write fast. You need to publish a lot of books. You need time to learn how to market them, time you won't use to write, and it might still not be quite enough to make a living out of writing in some situations. So I appreciate the comments, but I have to disagree. Um, I do think that you can make a living in this world. Um, I do think that you can work for yourself. There are constantly people uh, creating new businesses, constantly people uh, leaving their jobs to do this full time. Um, that That's not to say it's not difficult. It's fucking hard, but you can do it. I've done it uh, and... <laughs> You know, I'm just some girl uh, from the UK who managed to find a niche uh, that works. So you absolutely can do it. You have to work hard. You have to learn harder. You know, there are lots of things in um, the industry that change constantly, like you said, but it can be done. It can still be done in 2020 and anybody can do it if you are stubbornly determined enough. Okay, Scott Kavanagh. He says, uh, the question has come at, a, at an interesting time for me as my writing has ground to a halt over the past week. I have been trying to find some kind of process or outlining method to move me through a first draft faster. Part of this I know is the pressure to, f uh, to write faster as that's the only way to make a living in publishing. Uh... I have to agree, disagree with a lot of the comments today. Anyway, uh, Scott finishes by saying, this always, always leads to a week of fumbling around before acceptance uh, kicks kicks in that I am an intuitive writer and it may take me longer to finish a book. I think I need to read about successful slower publishing authors and bin the craft books until the editing stage. So yeah, like I definitely agree that um, reading craft books whilst you're trying to uh, a draft is not always um, beneficial to your process, but it really t depends what kind of writer you are. Like, I love reading craft books at any time, um, but if it's not working for you and you're finding it counterproductive, then absolutely stop. You have to find the process that works for you. Now, that said, um, I want to come back <laughs> to the comment that says, uh, writing faster is the only way to make a living in self-publishing. I call bullshit on that. I do not write and publish fast at all. And I make a living in self-publishing. Um, so yeah, I just don't believe that's true. And um, maybe I have to try and hunt around for people who don't write fast and get some people on here who are writing slower and still making a living because I need you guys to believe that it's possible because it is possible. Uh, so yeah, that's I'm going to make that my mission this week to find somebody uh, to bring on here who write uh, who writes and publishes slower and still makes fucking good dollar. Amy Sun says I would tend to think it has more to do with your readership than the climate. The fans you want are the ones who will read what you write when you can get it out. Sure, leaving a series hanging indefinitely is not ideal. Just ask many fantasy readers. But when the next one does come out, they will still read it. It's more about the financial end once you start thinking in terms of the publishing climate. Uh, Val Neal said, I just started listening to the episode and I'm sorry at how hard I laughed about the finger cutting story. I hope you're okay. 
Um, and uh, the funk thing really hit home. I've been like that for half of the year, finally feeling a bit better. I'm glad that you're feeling better. My finger is a fucking apocalypse right now. Um, it's really taking quite a long time to heal. And I don't know if that's because I'm exhausted or, you know, and so my body's slightly run down. But, or um, as uh, my wife very um, cleverly pointed out, um, because it was a clean cut, obviously, when you cut yourself and it's not with a knife, it's not a slight, it's got serrated edges and so it mats back together much easier. This was a clean cut and so my fingers looking a bit like a war zone at the moment. <laughs> oh, okay, so this week's question is, what one thing do you want to achieve by the end of the year? And I'm going to tell you my thing because I feel like being accountable today. So the thing that I want to achieve is I'm going to give my website a refresh, the same refresh I was supposed to give it at the beginning of the year and I still didn't get around to doing it. Um, and combined with that, I need to sort out um, whether or not I am actually going to do the mailing list move uh, and all of that. And then if I am, I need to actually get the fucking mailing list moved. So, yes. All right. Book recommendation of the week this week is Fahrenheit 451 uh, by Ray Bradbury. Now, why am I recommending this to you? Because, oh my goodness me, I don't know why it has taken me so long to read uh, Ray Bradbury because I've been recommended him a number of times and uh, I've just not done anything about it. But anyway, I was in a bit of a reading funk and uh, so I picked it up. My wife, uh, I, I gave my wife three books and I was like, pick between these and she picked the teeny one because she was like, you'll get through it quicker and then you'll feel like you've achieved something. She knows me so well. Um, and so anyway, I started reading it and holy crap, Ray Bradbury is a master, master of prose. He, 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 oh, it is beautiful. It is weird. It is unnerving. It is seriously prophetic. So I think it was written in the 50s or published in the 50s, I think. Um, and holy shit, like it is, it is uh, it, the unnerving. It, half of it is unnerving because it's written in an unnerving way. And the other half is because man, he was psychic. It is so scarily similar to a lot of the stuff today. I, You guys need to just, whatever you're doing, do yourself a favor. It's a very short book. Go read it this week. Okay, on to personal update. So um, like I've mentioned, my projects in the next couple of weeks are going into the back end of my website, giving it an aesthetic refresh, giving it um, a, a back end refresh, sorting out all my mailing lists. It's going to be a hard couple of weeks because I'm not the most turkey person <laughs> and this stuff really stresses me out. But um, in order to move my business where I want it to go, the website is no longer functioning as I need it to. Um, and so I have to get on with this now. Uh, I have also finished my content marketing plan for uh, 2021 and I'm going to share some lessons that I have learned about content marketing first with my patrons and um, then I will put it on the blog eventually. Uh, but yeah, I've learned an awful lot about content marketing and it's really changed my perspective and um, yeah, and my focus for next year. Um, I have been doing NaNoWriMo uh, and do you know, I now don't know how I'm supposed to say NaNoWriMo, 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 I don't know, Dan, I blame Dan Wilcox, he has messed up my brain, <laughs> because he says it one way, and I was saying it the other way, and now I'm totally confused which way you're supposed to say it, oh, anyway, uh, I was doing, I am doing NaNo, I have ground a bit of a halt, it's always what happens in the second week, I was looking back through my history of uh, nano and typically by about the 16th I grind to a halt and it's because uh, my brain requires some processing time I, I can only vomit words for so long before I need uh, percolation time and I need to then input as well like outputting and putting vomiting words on the page is a huge outflowing process um, and I have to then input in order to be able to 
<laughs> I'm like a battery. Basically, like I wound myself down and I need to recharge the batteries. Uh, but yes, so I'm trying to like input binge in order to be able to continue uh, with Nano. I don't think I'm going to hit the 50k. I'm completely okay with that because I'm, I'm I will probably get fairly close to a finished book by the end of um what month are we? October. No, November. <laughs> Oh my god, it's been such a long year. Uh, yeah, so by the end of November, I will probably have most of a book, the side characters book. And also, I have been working on uh, the How to Self-Publish course, which will be uh, launched in early next year. I'm going to set up a waitlist for it. I'm probably going to do a webinar um, just before it launches. Um, but yes, these are all things that I'm just thinking about rather than having them set in stone. And last but by no means least, Trey. Trey is the one that sort of slipped off the pile in the last couple of weeks and I need to bring that back on. But uh, apparently there's only 24 hours in a day. Who knew? I didn't know. Uh, so yes, I am running rapidly out of time at the moment. So when I announce some of the things I'm going to do next year, you're all going to think I'm fucking mental. Personally, I think I'm slightly bonkers as it is. Anyway, if you haven't checked out the census course, then uh, you can, it's still available. And I will uh, put a link in the show notes to that. And last but by no means least, uh, don't forget the story bundle. So the story bundle um, is for Nano. It's uh, storybundle.com forward slash Nano. And it uh, will expire, I think, just after the end of Nano. Uh, nan nano. I'm going to stick with Nano now because I'm so confused about how you say that damn word. Um, yeah, so it's going to end, I think, around the 2nd of December, 3rd of December, something like that. And this is the bundle of writing craft, writing business, writing marketing, writing audio type books. There's books from Joanna Penn, from Honoré Corder, from... Uh, Kevin J. Anderson, Andrea Pearson, uh, Christine Catherine Rush. There's a course from um, Dean Wesley Smith. So there's absolutely stacks of stuff and you can get it for just 20 bucks. So if you haven't gone and looked through it yet, what are you doing? Go have a look. All right, Rebel of the Week this week is Victoria L.K. Williams. Victoria says... I, uh, I was rebellious about two years ago when my husband decided we were too busy with the business for me to take part in Nano. Very timely rebellion, this one. I finally agreed with him and after a couple of hours said, screw that. I did Nano behind his back, writing late at night. I won that year and when it was over, I published the book and very smugly sent him a print on demand copy. That is hilarious. I love the writing rebellions. You know, but that said, I also love any other type of rebellion. Just, just love your rebellions. One more quick thing. Michelle Summers, who is the guest today, has very kindly given uh, you a summary synopsis kind of cheat sheet, which you'll be able to find in the show notes. So if you enjoy what she's saying, if you'd like to learn more uh, and have a guide, then you can download that. Uh, the link is in the show notes. All right, two new patrons this week. Uh, thank you very much to Emma Jeffrey and Jeff Elkins. A lovely chat with Emma this week, all about strengths. So thank you so much for joining me. And Jeff, you owe me a fucking tome on dialogue. So if you're listening, consider this a public spanking in a, a motivational chat in order to get you to finish that book. Thank you, as always, to all of my old and new patrons alike. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content like the lessons that I have learned from uh, or about content marketing, which I will be writing in the next couple of weeks, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Don't forget then, you can get the summary synopsis um, cheat sheet uh, in the show notes from Michelle. And without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Revel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by Michelle Summers. Michelle is a professional killer and matchmaker, a storyteller and a romantic. Words are her power and her passion. Her heroes and heroines always get their happy ever after, but she'll put them through one hell of a journey to get there. 
Michelle lives in Melbourne with her real life hero and three heroes in the making, as well as Emerald, a black furry feline who thinks she's a dog. Oh, we're going to talk about that in a second. And Cammy, a goofy rescue pup. Her debut novel, Lethal in Love, won the Romance Writers of Australia's 2013 Valerie Parve Award and 2016 Romantic Book of the Year. Michelle teaches writing craft in simple and easy to follow steps. Her Simply Synopsis strategy has revolutionized the way writers craft a synopsis. And now her characterization through narration strategy is helping writers master the art of strong character-driven storytelling. I think I may chuck in another couple of questions about your characterization stuff, but I'll throw those in at the end if that's all right. (laughs) First of all, tell me about the cat, because I have a cat who thinks she's a dog too. (laughs) hi Sasha thanks for having me here um my cat yeah she she oh she's a funny thing she acts so much like a dog like when we go out she'll run to the door and she's always waiting for us when we come home and if we throw things she she doesn't quite fetch but she runs after them and tries to fetch so it's um yeah (laughs) that's exactly that's kind of how our cat is as well we have actually got her playing fetch but she'll do you know what a nerf gun is Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So we have like these Nerf gun bullets and she'll only play fetch with those. Like, I can't tell you why. I know it's bizarre. So we'll like fire off a gun and like, she'll like, you know, out of the, out of the living room or whatever. And then like, you know, a few seconds later, she'll come like carrying this Nerf bullet back in her mouth, you know, for you to fire it off again. It's so sweet. But um, she, we also, we, we heart, we think she's also half human because whenever it's dinner time, she will come and sit on the fourth chair and just sort of watch us eating but she'll be sat on the chair with her little head above the table like because she wants to be included it's so funny I love it I love uh, it oh my kids would love that I love I'm not cats. telling them the nerf gun thing because they'll, <laughs> they'll they'll want a nerf gun and they'll want to do exactly the same yeah. thing and the dog will get it first so yeah yeah <laughs> oh amazing I love it okay well tell everyone a little bit more about you and your writing journey and how you got to where you are today well <laughs> I think I'm one of those um, cliche kind of writers where I always loved writing and books when I was little. Uh, I used to write poetry and short stories for my eyes only. And um, I always wanted to be a writer, but I grew up um, in Wellington, New Zealand in a reasonably conservative community. So firstly, loving romance was a no-no in those days and it was kind of one of those things that people would read if they read romance they would hide it or they wouldn't you know they wouldn't advertise the idea so I was a closet romance reader and wanted to write romance and I never really did it because I never um I guess believed I could do it or wanted to upset the people around me if that makes sense so um I guess we can go forward to 10 years ago when my youngest went off to kinder and I suddenly thought I was married um you know three kids and I thought you know what if I don't do this now I'm never going to do it so I sat down and I started writing and I had no idea how so six weeks later I had 80,000 words written of a romance that it's very spicy romance that will never see the light of day simply because I had no idea what I was doing (laughs) so um and around about that time my husband actually went on a, a work conference and he was sitting next to a guy and they were talking about their partners and um Danny's like you know what does your partner do oh she's she writes and Danny's like oh my wife started writing recently and then um, he's like, oh, what does your wife write? Uh, romance. Oh, my partner writes romance. So they were chatting away. It was really quite funny. And, and you know, has she looked into all these writing groups in, in Melbourne? Because I was living in Melbourne at the time. And, and um, my husband was like, no, tell me. So he wrote down all these names. And anyway, short story long, I, um, I contacted the Melbourne Romance Writers Guild and um, kind of a month later I was at one of their meetings and um, seven years later I'm now the treasurer (laughs) and those people are my they're my tribe my um, they'd be my inspiration and my um, 
my cheering squad and we we're, we're every you know each other's cheering squad for the last however many years it's been amazing so okay and just a little bit about my actually writing career after that at that meeting that first meeting there was a uh, a lady there who had entered a competition and she just won and it was called the Valerie Power Award and for that competition if you win, you win an amazing lady called Valerie Parv for a mentor for a year. And I sat there and I thought, I want to do this. I actually want to win that competition. And so I started learning craft. I did everything I could to, to, to learn craft. I went to conferences. I did workshops. I read books. I spoke to everybody and just sponged everything in. And um. A couple of years later, I entered um, the Valerie Parv. I came, I think it was 34th, which wasn't last, wasn't first. <laughs> um, and I suddenly wondered if I was doing things wrong because I, what I decided to do was I love romance, I love suspense, I love murder, I love crime, but I thought romance would be easier to write than all that other stuff. I was so wrong. Um, so... I didn't write crime and murder and suspense. And I thought, okay, I'm doing something wrong. Let's put them all together and start writing a book. And I did. And that book won me the Valerie Parv Award. And um, after I worked with Valerie, um, a year later, I won a publishing contract with Penguin R Random House. And they, they actually published my debut novel, Lethal in Love, as a six-part serial. Um, a year after that, um, was published, I entered the Romantic Book of the Year Award with Romance Writers Australia. And the weekend that they were announcing the award winners, um, Random House actually redid my book as a one thing, uh, uh, repackaged it as a complete novel. And I won that award. And I was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. And that's been my career. And I guess since then, I've published um, several short stories, like novellas, um, a, another book in that series. I've started writing Paranormal, which I absolutely adore. And then I wanted to give back for all these people that had started, that had helped me in my career. I decided I really want to give back to newbie authors and try and help them in a way that um, I think I could have been helped when I first started by simplifying down some of these um, writing kind of I won't say rules but the craft the writing craft that I struggled with so much and um, that's where the Simply Writing series came in and Simply Synopsis so that's Amazing. a very long version of my history. <laughs> well and um, so you mentioned Simply Synopsis and we are here to talk about uh, writing a synopsis so first of all can you tell listeners what is a synopsis um how is it different to a book blurb and why do we need one anyway okay so okay very very briefly a synopsis is a summary that breaks down a story's central plot introducing it the central characters in a concise but interesting way so the important parts there the central plot central characters and concise but interesting. So we're going to talk about a bit about that later. So I just want you to bear that in mind. Why do we need one? Really good question. And a lot of people think that this is what I get really excited about because I'm going to sound like a real geek now. Um, the synopsis has been viewed for so long as a tool, a submission tool for traditional publishing. And it is still that. It is very much still that. But let's think about what a synopsis does. A synopsis also can ensure that all the vital elements are present in your story. It can highlight deficiencies in your characterization and something that we call goal motivation conflict, um, GMC. I don't know if um, any of your listeners have heard of that, but I'll talk about a little bit about that um, later if you like. Um, and that means it highlights the lack of three-dimensional characters. Um, and your synopsis can pinpoint pacing problems and it can pinpoint plot holes and inconsistencies. And it also can help pinpoint the central theme of your story. So if we're talking about a self-published author that's looking to hit submit, um, to, uh, um, publish, before they actually think about that, it doesn't hurt to actually 
write a synopsis of your story and check whether you've actually covered all those bases or whether there's something that actually needs um, deepening or working on before you actually send that book out into the world. So um, I, I think it's so much more than a submission tool now. It's, a, it's like that final check before you, you know, hit publish. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, and then you asked about the book blurb. <laughs> so what's, why is it different? So let's think about a blurb. Um, so you're thinking about a back, a back cover blurb on your book. This is designed to sell your book to readers. So it hooks by not revealing the ending. It doesn't reveal all your surprises. Um, in comparison, your synopsis is a selling tool to let agents and editors and screen directors know that you understand the qualities of um, riveting story and riveting storytelling. So you need to tell them your secrets. You need to tell them your spoilers, any plot twists, um, anything that's going to wow them into, into um, wanting to know more about your story and understanding that you actually know how to tell a story beginning, middle, end and captivate your reader. So, um, yeah, I think, does that answer your question? Like, is that It does. It does. It definitely does. So I guess thinking about a synopsis then and focusing on the synopsis rather than the blurb, what, what is like a good structure for a synopsis? Yes. Okay. So if we're talking about a structure for, for a synopsis, um, we'd be talking about my simply, um, simply synopsis structure. So, so if we're talking about a synopsis structure, we're talking about my simply synopsis. Um, and, oh my God, so I, I could answer this question in two minutes or I could answer it in two hours and I won't, really, <laughs> you know, I won't, I won't take up your time for two hours, but basically I, a synopsis actually comprised is comprised of four parts. You have your orientation, uh, your major turning points, your resolution, and your conclusion. So it's pretty much like your story, to be honest. Um, if we were to break those parts down even further, we could think about the orientation. So they're the, they're the opening paragraphs of your synopsis. And that the orientation itself has four parts. We have a hook. We have central theme. Um, we have world building and we have central characters. So within that, those opening paragraphs, what we need to do is we need to actually orient the reader into a story. We need to give them a sense of the higher, per the purpose of the story, the central theme. What is the story about? We need to give them a sense of the world. And especially when you're talking things like fantasy, paranormal, sci-fi, anything that's not our current world, we need to give them a sense of what it is about this new world that is so different from our own. So we're not going to beleaguer. We're not going to put in every single wonderful detail. We're going to choose the ones that um, are the most different and I guess what, what I call a point of difference, okay, that are going to, to show them how this world operates. Um, we have a central theme, um, which is part of um, the hook, um, the central theme and the hook. And actually the world building can also be part of the hook. And then we have our central characters. And I mentioned before GMC or goal motivation conflict. This is where... Um, having a really clear understanding of our characters and what's driving them through the story is so important. And this is where a lot of authors that I've worked with, um, with the strategy have come to me and they're like, I, I cannot believe I did not know my characters well enough or I, I did not actually have enough driving force for my characters. I have to go back to the drawing board and I have to strengthen them because I didn't realise they 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 weren't um, three-dimensional enough. And so we're talking about GMC, goal, motivation, conflict. What does our character want? Why do they want it? And what's stopping them from getting it? And when we talk about GMC, we have um, our internal 
and external. So if we're talking about an external GMC, we're talking about something tangible, something physical that they want. And it might be, if you're thinking Indiana Jones, he wants a thing. He wants, say, um, the Ark of the Covenant or whatever it may be. Um, when we're talking internal, we're talking emotional. What, and this is part of our character arc, this is part of their growth in our story that actually um, we want them to change and grow. So what is it that they need to overcome emotionally, whether it be fears, phobias, um, false beliefs, all that kind of stuff? What do we want them to overcome? And um, so that they can achieve their goal. So this is, this is all just part of the first couple of paragraphs that's that we encompass all of that so hook um what did i say hook world building central theme central characters um do you want me to go on because <laughs> um so after we've uh done all that we look at our major turning points and the major turning points are the major plot points in our story that show that either move the character arc forward so they actually help our character to grow. Or if we're talking something like a romance, it's also the major plot points that um, move the, the relationship forward. So if we were talking about um, the major plot points, uh, we would be talking about things like the inciting incident, um, anything that, um, you know, you know, any kind of challenges or setbacks, um, higher stakes, all of those kind of things we want to be including in our synopsis. And when we look at um, including them, we want to analyse these major turning points and show how they move the plot forward. So I have a six-step structure that I use. And for each turning point, what we need to identify is plot, character, action, motivation, reaction, and impact. So with these six things, what we do is we um, identify the plot points and the characters involved in those plot points and any action that those characters take and why they take that action any reactions as a result of those actions? And then what is the impact? How does this actually grow our characters? And this is the really important part. How does it actually drive our character arc forward? How does it drive our plot forward? And then the, 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 um, uh, in the, with, with a romance as well, how does it drive our romantic relationship forward? Mm. So I always this think... is all part of... Oh. Oh, I think there might be a delay. We've got a drink. I think we have a I delay. I think there is a delay. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, um, I think uh, one of the things that writers, uh, well, when I look, read manuscripts, I have done a lot of developmental editing over the years. When I read manuscripts, one of the things that I often see a weakness in is that consequence. Um, so you have the, the action, you have the reaction, but then there's not enough fallout. So what is the consequence of that reaction? What is that? What is changed by that? And I think that is one way if you focus on that in, in like key scenes, that's one way to really amp up both the tension and the quality of a manuscript. Um, mm. um, I totally I, agree. <laughs> so like a synopsis is supposed to be quite short it's not a long thing obviously that's one of the things that makes writing a synopsis tricky um so how much information should we be putting into a synopsis and how do you know when you've put in too much or not enough like how long is a good synopsis oh gee okay how long is a piece of string wow um it you know what it really depends what the purpose of your synopsis is. What are you using your synopsis for? If you if you actually are going to use it as a, a last minute check to make sure that you have included everything before you hit publish, then I would say between two to five pages. If you're using it as a submission tool, 
what you really need to do is look at your publisher's guidelines. Most publishers will have a set of guidelines and they will tell you how long the synopsis should be. And it can be anything from, I've seen publishers say they want 300 words or 600 words, or sometimes they'll say, look, we need a page or two pages. So of course, that's going to be, each, each different length is going to um, be, um, is going to determine how long you actually, how much, sorry, how much content you put into your synopsis. So your major turning points, what, what I would suggest that um, writers do is as you are writing your story or afterwards, just do a quick analysis of your story and make a list of those major turning points. And then what you need to do is have a look at how, that, how long that synopsis needs to be and choose the turning points that have the most impact in terms of that character arc, um, challenging your characters and showing their growth. So you actually want to make this journey believable. And the only way it can be believable is by showing the, the, the um, events that challenge your character and actually force them into growth and self-realization. So, and, and look, to be honest, this is a really great tool to use for scene analysis, for chapter analysis. You can, you know, if you're struggling with a chapter, writing down your plot, your character, your action, uh, motivation, reaction and impact. If you actually have a really good idea of that before you start writing your scene or as you're writing your scene, you're going to be on point. You're going to stay, uh, you're not going to stray from what you actually want to achieve in that particular scene. And remembering that every single scene needs to earn its place in your book. Every single scene should do something. And if it doesn't do something, if it doesn't um, drive that story and drive your character growth and drive that romance forward, then either it doesn't belong in your book or you need to think of how you can actually use it to do that. Mm. Um, so in terms of how do you know when you've put too much in or um, not enough, you need enough to orient your reader and give them a sense of your character's journey. So what they don't need to know, they don't need to know about your secondary characters. They don't need to know about secondary plots unless they impact directly on the um, central plot of your story and unless they impact on your character's growth. Uh, you basically, what I would suggest that you do if you're, if you're looking to do a synopsis and if you are looking to do one to submit to a traditional publisher, for each turning point that you've got on your list, ask yourself, can I safely exclude this plot point without losing the essence of my plot, my relationship development, if it's a romance, um, and my character growth? And if you, if you can actually safely leave it out, and it doesn't, you know, and you don't lose anything, then leave it out. You don't need it. So, yes. Awesome. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does, it does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so what are the core mistakes you see writers making when they try and write a synopsis? That's a great question. I love this. Um, so most writers, they get to the end of their story and they think, okay, I want to submit this. I, I want to get a publisher, so I need to write a synopsis. I've just written a 100,000-word book or whatever it may be, and I need to put every single plot point into my synopsis. I need to introduce all the characters, like the secondary character. Oh, my God, they're so funny. I cannot leave them out. And that really great moment when X did Y, and it was really hilarious, um, I need to put that in two. Okay. No, <laughs> that is a big mistake. Again, as I said before, not all, turning, not all turning points will make it into your synopsis and you only want to choose the ones that drive forward your plot, your character arc and your relationship. And sometimes you'll have a couple of plot points that do something very similar. What I would suggest you do when you're doing your turning point 
paragraphs, um, the major turning point paragraphs, you can either bundle them up in one paragraph or you can choose one of those several points to illustrate how your character is growing um, through that event and through self-realisation. Um, so another mistake that I think um, writers make when they're writing a synopsis, um, too much focus on plot, not enough focus on character. Um, we need to focus on GMC, goal motivation conflict. And when we're talking about our turning points, we need to think about how they relate to our character's goal, to their motivation, to their conflict. Uh, another another uh, mistake that I see people making, and this is really common, trying to be clever. <laughs> Sometimes we, we, we have such a complex plot, and especially when we're talking about world building or fantasy, it, it, it you know, can be quite overwhelming. So we want to put all that complexity into our synopsis because that's going to really impress the reader. The problem is what it does is it confuses them instead and we can actually lose them through the process. So we really need to simplify things down and really pair our world building and any other complexities back to their bare bones and really just um, put them into simplistic forms and just show, really focus on the characters, give an idea of our world building, give an idea of what makes our world different, but don't include all of the facets of our world. And um, basically, I'd say stick to the structure that I mentioned before. Um, we're talking about the orientation, the major turning points, and the resolution and conclusion, which they, they speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. So uh, another question then, does a writer need to worry about their voice in a synopsis? Do they, do they need to ensure it's the same voice as that's in a book or because it's sort of an overarching summary, is that irrelevant? And, and if they do need to use their voice, how can they ensure that they are capturing that voice in so few words as they, you know, compared to what they did in their novel? That is such a great question. I have, um, judged quite a few competitions that require a synopsis. And one of the major um, problems I see with people who get so caught up in the plot, and it's almost like a list of plot points to show what's happening in the story, there's no voice. Now, when we think about the primary focus of a synopsis is to actually sell our story to a, um, an editor, agent and screen director. And just think about it, even for people who are self-published, one day we might get an opportunity to actually be able to sell our stories to a screen director, make a movie. How amazing. So we need to be able to relay that story in a way that's engaging so that somebody can actually picture it and they can actually think, wow, that's going to make a great movie. So we do need our voice. This is a story of your story and it, it's a representation of your skills as a writer. So not only do we need to focus on the content in terms of our characterization, our world building, and our major turning points and driving that character story forward. We also need to do it in a way that is um, representative of our story and our voice. So I would say when you've, I, the first thing I would say is match tone to genre. So if you have a rom-com, make your synopsis funny use you know have that fun light flirty or whatever kind of voice that you've got in your story make sure it's in your in your synopsis if you've got a some a suspense or a murder mystery yes we need to reveal what happens at the end of our synopsis but make your synopsis suspenseful make it you know just drag the reader through it the same way you drag them through your story um, don't use dialogue in your synopsis However, you can actually get into your character's head and have those turning points and those actions, reactions and impact come from your character. It's, it's, like, it's kind of like a deep point of view type thing. So it can still be almost a, um, a thought process and having your synopsis come from your character rather than you telling 
the story uh, is huge because it, it shows your skills as a writer and it really impress whoever's reading it because they'll be able to tell you doing the same thing in your story. Um, and I guess, yeah, definitely your voice. Definitely, definitely make sure it mirrors your story 100%. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so I know uh, I mentioned in your bio when I read your bio that you are working on characterization through narration. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I am uh, currently like binge reading everything I can possibly get my hands on, on side characters or like secondary characters, whatever you want to call them. So I wondered, and I know I am putting you on the spot, um, <laughs> so feel free to say no if, if you want, but I wondered what your take on side characters <laughs> is, or if you have any tips for creating side characters side characters I would say okay side characters when I'm creating my side characters I will still do um, something that I call a GMC chart or a goal motivation conflict chart I believe that every person in our story has their own story and even though they are not a main character, there is still something that's driving them through that story. And for our side characters to be three-dimensional, just as our, our central characters are, we need to understand who they are. And it's not so much that their story is going to um, sh be shown through our central story, but to know how they act and react, we need to understand them because understanding who they are, where they've come from, any backstory events, which I didn't mention through the, um, before with the, um, the structure of the, the synopsis, but we still need, we need to actually have an idea of backstory of our characters. The same thing needs to be said for our central, uh, for our secondary characters, not to the same extent, but if we understand what's driving them, then I know, I know how they speak. I know how they act. If something happens, I know how they react. And often if you're doing that whole mirroring thing where you've got a secondary character and you're, um, I guess, if there's a bit of a contrast or a mirror in terms of your um, central character's journey, understanding where your secondary character's coming from is going to be a huge help into understanding how they can help your central plot and your central characters grow. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. All right. This is the Rebel Author Podcast. So can you tell us about a time you unleashed your inner rebel? I have been, I knew you were going to ask me this. <laughs> so I'm so not a rebel. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because I've always played by the rules simply because I'm not good at ruffling feathers. However... I would probably say that the first time I ever let my rebel kind of out there would be when I decided to write romance and what the hell, seriously. Like I come from, as I said, I came from a very conservative background and even at the point of time when I decided to start writing, there are many of my friends who would look at romance and it, it, it's, it's kind of like it's not a real book. Um, you know, why would you write romance when you could write a real story? And which totally annoys me now. And I, I, you know, for the first time ever, I actually stood up and I actually said to them, hold on a second, I want to write this because A, it's my passion and B, who doesn't want to fall in love every day? Like seriously. <laughs> I can see you jumping up and down. Yeah. This is what we get to do. And I've had so many people when I've actually said to them, I get to go to work, I sit at a keyboard and I fall in love every single day and I do not know any other jobs out there that do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I've had people look at me and like, wow, like, no, I don't get to do that. And it is such an amazing job. But to be able to, to be open about this and be proud of this is something really hard for an introvert who's always done the right thing and always kind of worried about what other people think so that's my rebel that my rebel is not worrying what people think and writing romance and writing 
pretty sexy romance at the moment <laughs> between werewolves and vampires and all sorts of things, which I never thought I would be able to do and loving it. And so, yeah, there's my rebel. I love it. I love it. I love that. Like, I love it when rebellions are rebellions that, uh, you know, like capture the heart of who we are and enable us to be the people that we want to be and do the things that, you know, fill us with joy. I think it's I think it's so sad that we are we have a society that stops people from doing that. And and, you know, I every, you know, I hear it time and time again every day I hear from people who, you know, and even myself over the years, you know, being stopped because other people don't think you fit their box. Well, fuck them. You know, you, we have to be who who we are. And, you know, life is such a blink. It's so short that, you know, there's just isn't time to not be our best selves, you know, Um so yeah, I loved I loved your rebellion. <laughs> All Thank right, you. I just want to say. Oh, before sorry, I know no, you. So I I just want to say, and I guess for anybody out there who is listening, who hasn't followed their passion, or who hasn't followed their dream, or who somebody anybody who's been worried about doing what they want to do because of what people think or what they think, or even not believing that they can do it, I would say from a person who waited 40 plus whatever years, I hate to say that, to do what she wanted to do, I would say to people, go out and do it. Like, don't wait. Do, if you know, if something has been sitting there smoldering in the background and you've never really had that kind of um, confidence to go out there and do it, just do it. Go out there and be the best that you can be and follow your passion because you might surprise yourself. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you succeed or, or you know, whatever your idea of success is. I would just say do it and enjoy every minute of it because we only get one chance and we only get one life. And I wish I'd done this earlier and I'm so glad I did it when I did and didn't wait any longer. So yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I couldn't agree more with you. Um, okay, so where can listeners find out more about you, um, your books, your blog, that kind of stuff? So I'm pretty much I'm everywhere. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Pinterest, um, Instagram. I've got a bit of a YouTube thing happening, but not much at the moment. I would say the best place to find me would be my website, though. So that's www.michelle-summers.com. And you can find all my links to all the places there. I also do a monthly simply writing blog through Romance Writers of Australia. It's been a bit dormant lately um, because my brain's been a bit dormant with um, lockdown and all sorts of things, but that's hopefully going to be getting up again soon. Um, So people can find um, old blogs there on all sorts of writing craft, including the Simply Synopsis, characterization through narration, hooks, all sorts of things. So, um, you know, go there and see what you can find. There's a whole lot of information for authors starting out. And um, yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, and thank, thank you, you so <laughs> you're, you're welcome, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, thank you also to everybody listening. And of course, a big thank you to the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And that is Sasha with a C and not an S. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to Michelle Summers, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'll be joined by Mike Reeves McMillan, and we'll be talking about all the nitty gritty parts of writing. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. (music) 